Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Thank you for listening to this CNN podcast. To hear more podcasts from us, visit CNN.com slash podcast or search CNN in iTunes. Welcome back to the CNN Democratic Presidential Town Hall here at Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa. This is the last best chance for the candidates to face Iowa voters and answer their questions directly before they caucus next Monday. Now, we've heard from Senator Sanders. In a bit, we're going to hear from Secretary Clinton. But right now, the floor belongs to former Maryland Governor Martin O'Malley. Chris, how are you? Good to see you, Good to see you too, man. Thanks. Hey, thanks. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Have a seat, Governor. Thank you. How are you feeling a week out? I'm excited. It's Iowa caucus time. And Chris, I've seen this before. Once Iowans get into that decision-making pocket, none of the pollsters back east can tell you how it's going to turn out. <laughs> and and uh, <clears throat> I wish you could be out there with me. I have been campaigning the Iowa caucus way. I've been to over 120 events and getting up on the chair, doing town halls like this. And uh, we're seeing larger and larger crowds. And the, the beauty of the people of Iowa is they're not intimidated by polls. They're not intimidated by pundits. And they have this birthright, they feel, to upset the apple cart. And with only three of us in this Democratic primary, there's only one of us who can still upset the apple cart. Come on, <laughs> all right? The Des Moines Register, uh, they gave the nomination, uh, their endorsement to Secretary Clinton. Okay? They give their endorsement to her. In it, they talk about you. And they say that you are, quote, better suited as one of her cabinet secretaries than as president. What do you want to tell Iowans right now to prove that their state's biggest paper is wrong? Yeah, well, this, the, um, this is what I have to say. Look, I'm in this, Chris, to win this. I'm running for president of the United States. And the reason I'm running is this. Our country is facing big challenges. And we have deep divisions in our country. And we need a candidate who can actually pull us together who can heal these divisions, who can get things done. That's what I've done all my life. I'm not a divider. If I were, I would not have been able to accomplish the things we accomplished in a very troubled city or in our state through a recession. And that's what I believe the people of Iowa are looking for, a president who will move us forward, who will build on the good things that President Obama has done and actually take that job creation legacy and turn it into rising wages again for every American family. That's what we need, and we need new leadership to do that and break through the gridlock of Washington. You mentioned President uh, Obama. He was speaking this morning about the election a little bit more deeply than he has in the past, and he was doing an analysis of uh, Secretary Clinton and Senator Sanders, and he referred to the senator as kind of this bright, shiny new object and that has a fascination for people. I thought you were supposed to be the bright, shiny new object yeah. in this. What happened? Well, look, uh, I'm honored to be able to uh, offer my candidacy in the company of Secretary Clinton and Senator Sanders. 
If you look at our democratic primary and the debates we've had, we're certainly doing a much better job of speaking to the goodness within our country rather than to fear and anger and loathing like we've heard from those other guys. You ready to make your case for the people? Yeah. All right, let's take the question. We have Joy Latson, a student at Iowa State University. She's originally from St. Louis. Her parents work in Ferguson. She says she's undecided. What's your question for the government? Is this Q&A time? Am I allowed to stand? You can do whatever you want. I'm not capable of doing Q&A in Iowa from a seat. Wherever you want to be. All right. I'll take your question. It's fine. Good evening. Hi. Hi. Your history as mayor of Baltimore and governor of Maryland showed that you pushed for zero tolerance policing and felony punishments for low-level drug offenders, which usually affects the black population. How are you planning to ensure racial equality when your history in office contradicts your current platform to fight structural racism? Yeah. Sure. Well, look, let's talk about this. In 1999, uh, Our city of Baltimore had become the most violent, the most addicted, and the most abandoned city in America. And when very few other people would step up who could bring us together and turn it around, I did. And uh, that year, and for about the 12 years leading up to that point, we were burying over 300 young, poor, black men every single year. And yes, black lives matter. And I told the people of my city, Look, we do not have to accept a reality of 24-7 drug dealer occupation over our poor neighborhood. When you call from a a poor neighborhood for police service, they should respond the same way that they do in wealthier neighborhoods, black and white. There are a lot of things we got right. There were a lot of lives that we saved. I promised to improve how we police the police. We actually did start closing down open-air drug markets. And in the course of my executive service, both as mayor and as a governor, I never stop searching for the things that work so we can do more of them to save and redeem lives and the things that don't work so we can stop doing them. So we greatly increased drug treatment. We saved uh, hundreds and hundreds of lives from overdose deaths. Uh, We started tracking discourtesy. Uh, excessive force. I drove down use of fatal police involved shoot or fatal police involved shootings to three of their four lowest years in Baltimore history. And as governor, well, I uh, restored voting rights to 52,000 people. I repealed as a crime, I decriminalized the possession of marijuana. I banned the box on uh, uh, um, people who are applying for state employment. And um, And not the first time, not the second time, but the third time by bringing people together, including a few Republican votes. I made my state the first state south of the Mason-Dixon line to repeal the death penalty in America. So, so, so Governor look, it's hard to, it's hard to appreciate please. at the time, but uh, the, one true story and quickly, Chris. There was a family of seven people, a mom, a dad, and five kids, who in East Baltimore were firebombed in their sleep and killed by a drug dealer. And the reason? Because they were picking up the phone and calling 911 and asking for relief for their kids from this sort of 24-7 drug dealer 
occupation. Look, I think all of us have a responsibility. I know I feel a responsibility to constantly look for the things that work and the things that don't work. By the end of my time as governor, we had driven down violent crime to a 30-year low, and we had also driven down our incarceration rate to a 20-year low. You can do both of them at the same time by doing the things that work. Next question, Dan Koenig. He owns small two businesses in Des Moines. He says he's leaning toward Bernie Sanders. He's leaning toward Bernie Sanders, but he's here to give you a shot, and he has a question. What is it? Hello. Yes, I'm a small business owner. Tell me your name again. Daniel Koenig. Daniel. And uh, I, uh, you, know, you know, you run the numbers and you try to figure out, okay, well, at the end of the day, when, when you're spending as much on your health care every month as you do your mortgage, what ways would you choose to try to lessen that burden on the middle class and just, you know, small business owners like myself. Yeah, look, I I think we need to build upon the good things that President Obama has done with the Affordable Care Act. But no program ever came into existence in a perfect condition. So we have to improve it. And one of the ways I think we need to improve it is by covering those uh, high-value sort of uh, uh, early out-of-pocket expenses that people are experiencing. What I hear from a lot of folks all over Iowa is that maybe while their premiums have leveled off, they're paying more out-of-pocket, more, uh, and and their deductibles are higher. So we need to to push the insurance companies to actually offer – uh, uh, offer products that pay for those early, those first out-of-pocket expenses. But let me take you up to a, a slightly larger and higher level, and it is this. Look, we need, to, we, need to, um, we need to change what it is that we actually pay for, to put wellness at the center. In my own state, we moved all 46 of our acute care hospitals out of fee-for-service and started paying them global payments for all of their Medicare and Medicaid patients. Why? Because the biggest driver of your high health insurance costs and throughout our country is the hospital costs at the center. And we told our our hospitals that if you reduce avoidable hospital readmissions, you can share in those savings. And the New England Journal of Medicine did an article about four weeks ago and said, I'll be damned, it actually works. (laughs) We can dial up wellness, we can reduce the expense here, and uh, that's the future, I believe. And every state has a role to play in moving that way because clearly we're still paying too much for health insurance. Our system's called an all-payer system. We have a rate-setting commission, and, uh, and we're able to replace uh, the institutional profitability. I mean, the hospitals aren't going bankrupt by any means, but we're able to put wellness at the center. And that's what we need to do as a country to bring down the high cost of, uh, of health care. Thank you, Daniel. Another question for you, Gov. Jenna Bishop, she's from Drake University. She says she's undecided on which candidate she's supporting, and she has a question about young voters for you. Well, it's still early. There's six days. (laughs) Hi, Governor. Um, So I'm 23 years old, and I care about a lot of issues other than just the cost of college. So I'd like to know what issue you think should be most important to young voters and why. Thank you. Great question. Uh, I have put forward a plan for debt-free college within the next five years. And as uh, the one candidate among the three of us with 15 years of executive experience, we went four years in a row in my state without a penny's increase to college tuition. So you can check out my plan for that on my website, martinomalley.com. But you know what I believe is the biggest issue uh, that I think you should be concerned about as a young person who has more time on this planet than I do? And that is climate change. 
Climate change is the greatest business opportunity to come to the United States in a hundred years. And I am the first candidate in either party to put forward a plan to move us to a 100% clean electric energy grid by 2050 and create 5 million jobs along the way. And this is another one of those instances, Chris, where Iowa is pointing the way forward. Look at what you have already done in your, in your state. 30 to 35% of your energy now comes from clean Iowa wind, which wasn't there 15 years ago. And you employ 5,000 people in a new industry. And the great thing about those big component parts you see rumbling down the highway on I-80 is you're too darn big for it to make a whole lot of sense to import them from other countries. So you have to build them here. <laughs> And it's, a, and, it's a big, and it's a big differentiator among the three of us. I mean, we're all, we're all decent people. We all want to do the right thing for our planet. But there is a generational perspective here. And we're not going to get to a 100% clean electric grid with an all-of-the-above strategy any more than we got to the moon with an all-of-the-above strategy. It was an engineering challenge. And we are up to this as Americans. But incrementalism, half-steps splitting the loaf, that's not going to get us, and that's not what your generation wants. You want the straight tooth, uh, truth, and you want us to face our challenges fearlessly and, and make this uh, new reality ours. What works for you in that, Jenny? You like the answer? Um, I think that's great. I think the environment's huge, obviously, especially for those of us that are going to be living a lot of years, hopefully. So, <laughs> thanks. Well, hopefully we'll still be there. All right, Arnold Woods. Uh, he is the president of the Des Moines NAACP. He's an Air Force veteran who served in Vietnam, and he says he is still undecided. Your question, sir. Uh, yes, I am undecided. And the uh, question I have is, because of the extreme number of our military personnel returning from war zones, combat zones with uh, PTSD, what is your feeling toward reestablishing a military draft? And for those who are not deemed worthy to go to military draft or to be drafted into the military, do you have any options for them where they can serve our country for a couple of years prior to going to college? Hey, thank you. Uh, I have put forward in your state 15 strategic goals to move our country forward again, to rebuild the truth of the American dream, to get wages to go up, to make college more affordable and debt-free within the next five years, cut drug overdoses in half in the next 10 years, gun deaths in half in the next 10 years, but one of the goals is to cut youth unemployment in half in the next three years. And I propose to do that by making national service a universal option for every kid in America to serve their country in environmental restoration or in public health or in other avenues uh, in addition to, to the military. And I believe that that will not only allow our kids to go to college in a more affordable way, giving them an increased Pell Grant benefit, but I also know that it'll do a great deal to uh, tap that goodness within the next generation and bring it forward, bring their ethic forward. Let me talk a little bit about veterans, uh, because another one of our, my strategic goals is full employment for the veterans of ours who come home from Iraq and Afghanistan. We do a very poor job of transitioning our veterans back to civilian life. And uh, I have found, as a governor, uh, attacking this problem, that the key is employment. Talking to our veterans about employment, there is absolutely no handoff between the, de the Defense Department and Veterans Affairs, let alone our State Departments of, of, of Veterans Affairs. 
And uh, in fact, on the DD-214, the discharge form that veterans fill out, there's not even a box on there for an email address. And a lot of our veterans become ghost people. We might catch up with them eventually at the hospital. We might catch up with them at a county jail. We're a better nation than this. And we need to have a transition program so that none of our veterans slip through the cracks. And we need to make the first goal so that we can then get to the uh, uh, post-traumatic stress issues, mental health, and other things. First goal needs to be for employment because every person needs to be needed. And we need our veterans back here every bit as much as we needed them abroad. Got another question for you, Governor Deborah Plummer. She's from Drake University, undecided, has a question about the economy for you. Good evening, Governor. Hi. Hi. Um, my question is, do you have any specific plans to grow the economy at a rate that will increase job growth for those, so that those who are um, long-term unemployed or fallen out of the workforce will have an opportunity to get back in? Sure, yes. The, uh, let me talk a little bit about our economy. Uh, prior to President Obama's good work, and he's done great work, saved us from a second great depression, from the recklessness and the greed on Wall Street, our nation's creating jobs again, and we're the only species on the planet without full employment, so jobs are important, right? Without jobs, nothing works very well. But here's another thing that doesn't work very well in America, uh, unless it's going in the right direction, and that is wages. For the first time this side of World War II, 70% of us are earning the same or less than we did 12 years ago. So as I look at this, I believe that we need to first and foremost remember that our economy is not money. It is people. It is all of our people. And we need to restore common sense wage and labor policies that make wages rise again. Things we used to do, Democrats and Republicans together all the time, like keeping the minimum wage above the poverty line paying overtime pay for overtime work. How about this? The long-deferred promise of equal pay for equal work for men and women. <laughs> Making it easier for people to join labor unions instead of harder. And then... Uh... And here's another one to make wages go up instead of being a drag on wages. Let's get 11 million of our neighbors out of the underground shadow economy by passing comprehensive immigration reform with a pathway to citizenship for all. Governor? But there's Chris and two other brief ones on this. I'm the first candidate in either party to put forward a new agenda for America's cities. America's cities are where we have some of the worst problems of structural unemployment and where we can do the most good with investments in mobility, mass transit, uh, a new era of workforce housing, making our cities the leading edge to this clean, green environment. And then the third piece I come back to again is squaring our shoulders to, to climate change and training people to actually be part of the retrofitting and the distributed energy future that is America's. Governor, uh, talk to the audience about uh, points of contrast between you and Senator Sanders when it comes to the economic plan. So much is made of him being a self-described democratic socialist. Do you see yourselves as that different from him when it comes to the economy? Yeah, the, uh, look, my, my story is not the, the story of a, of a democratic conversion. Uh, my story is the story of a democratic upbringing. And my parents taught me that the stronger we make our country, the more our country can give back to ourselves and to our children. And uh, so I believe in fair market American capitalism. 
And I also, as part of those 15 strategic goals, believe, as Woodrow Wilson believes, that freedom, economic freedom, also means freedom from monopoly. I would agree. And I would actually agree with Senator Sanders in this sense, Chris. We have reached a point where there's been such a concentration of corporate wealth and power in the hands of so few that it's taking opportunity out of the homes of the many. And whenever that happens, there's only two paths forward, and only one of them is good. And that is a sensible rebalancing based on the common good we share. Uh, we need to push back on these concentrations of corporate power, Wall Street, big banks, but other places as well. You know, here in Iowa, a, 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 a farmer told me that 12 years ago, they used to have about a dozen packing houses. Now they only have four or five. Hog farmers are more productive than ever, but they're getting less than ever. Our economy is an ecosystem, uh, you know, and the center of that ecosystem is our, a stronger middle class. In other words, the stronger we make our middle class, uh, the more our economy grows. And that's what we've lost track of in these 30 years of trickle-down economics. The more our workers earn, the more they spend, the more our economy grows. And uh, so, uh, no, I, I, I will say this, though, Chris. Uh, I think that uh, uh, I do believe that the fundamentals of American capitalism are still strong. But we need to shake ourselves out of this trickle-down nonsense that says concentrate wealth, remove regulation, and keep wages low. Low wages for America is not an America that's working. We need wage policies that make wages go up again. The gentleman standing up on your right is Brian Carlson. He's a student at Drake University. He says he's leaning towards supporting Hillary Clinton. He says he wants to talk about discrimination in the workplace, uh, and he has a question about it. What do you have? Uh, last year's uh, Supreme Court decision uh, granting full marriage equality was truly monumental for the LGBT community across the nation. Um, uh, um, but we still face uh, a hard battle ahead, um, especially in the areas of employment and uh, housing. In many states, uh, we still face discrimination. Um, I was wondering, uh, what would you do as president uh, to um, help us to acquire full equality in those areas on the federal level? Yeah. I believe that the genius of this American experiment of ours uh, is that in every generation we take actions to include more people more fully in the economic, the social, and the political life of our country. That's the broader arc of American history. We've yet to arrive at a, at a perfect union, but every generation we have the opportunity to make it a more perfect union. In my own state, we were one of the very first to pass at the ballot marriage equality. I also passed a transgender anti-discrimination bill in the state of Maryland as well. And it's, and it's interesting, you know, the common ground we found to get these things done is this. It's really about our kids. It's about all our kids. And there were some people in Maryland who said we might not be able to pass marriage equality. And we made the argument all about the truth, that there is dignity in every child's home, and every child's home needs to be protected equally under the law. Uh, one of the most powerful beliefs we share is our belief in the dignity of every person. That's what's motivated me and the common good that we share. And I will do everything in my power 
to move us forward as a nation and make us more inclusive in every possible way I can uh, across the board because that's what makes us stronger as a country. Thank you. Governor, you were talking about farming earlier and the status of it here in Iowa. We have a question for you about that. This is Janet Linderman. She's president of the Iowa Farmers Union. She says she's leaning toward Clinton, but she's a fourth-generation farmer, and she has a question about the industry for you. Uh, first, I just want to say I love that you mentioned the problem of market concentration in the egg sector. Thank you so much yeah, uh, for bringing up that point. Yeah, not good for family farms, is it? Yeah. Not, not too great, no. There's, yeah. there's not as, nearly as many of us as there used to be. Right. Uh, my question is about beginning farmers. Um, I'm a beginning farmer. The average age of farmers in the United States right now is about 57 years old, and that number goes up a little bit each year. Um, for beginning farmers, a group that includes a growing number of veterans, women farmers like me and other groups, we do have some opportunities with innovative business models that include more diversified farms, um, right. more sustainable farming practice, uh -huh. but there aren't nearly enough of us. Right. Um, we know that a lot of farmers are going to be retiring in the next decade and there aren't enough people to replace them. Um, so my question is, after decades of rural out migration and farm consolidation, uh, what can we do, what would you do uh, to provide opportunities and invest in a new generation of family farms for the country? Yeah, thank you. I think this is a big, big part of the, 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 uh, of the future for rural America. Sustainable economies, uh, the ability to consume and to grow and, uh, and, and to do that within the footprint of this place that we call home. And so I would like to work with Congress, and I plan to work with Congress, to do more in the Farm Bill to reduce the barriers of entry to new farmers as they start up. Huge capital costs that go into to buying the land and buying the equipment, but it's also what's best for, for, uh, keeping our, uh, for keeping our rural economies and it's best for America. So I've seen in my own state a whole movement to the buy local movement and the sort of farming that, that you describe. Uh, we need to do more as a nation to encourage young farmers to go into farming, to reduce those barriers and those capital costs, even at the same time that we push back against the concentration of monopoly power in the agricultural sector, and that's what I intend to do. Thank you. Thank you. All right, I have a question for you. We know that you are working this whole state, and you're going for the gold. You're in it to win it. I understand that. But you can make an argument that you are the most important person that we're going to have in this room tonight, whether or not you win or not. Here's why. As you know, there is a 15% rule in a lot of these caucuses. So if you don't have 15% of the caucuses in that room, those men and women have to go to a different candidate. So if you don't have that, and your followers now have to go to somewhere else, the people who support you, what is your suggestion to them? This this sounds like a process question. <laughs> Look, here's my suggestion to them. What I, I have uh, put together a terrific organization, or we have put together a terrific organization all across this state, Chris. And uh, uh, one of the reasons why, why the polls back east can never figure out how the caucuses work is because it's a very organic thing. And uh, so my message to, to the O'Malley supporters across this state is this. Hold strong at your caucus. Uh, hold, hold, hold.
hold strong at your caucus because America is looking for a new leader. America is scanning the horizon. We cannot be this fed up with our gridlock, dysfunctional national politics and think that a resort to old ideologies or old names is going to move us forward. So I tell my people, hold strong. I know this is a tough fight, but I've always been drawn to a tough fight. I believe the toughness of the fight is the way the hidden God has of telling us we're actually fighting for something worth saving. Our country's worth saving. The American dream is worth saving. This planet is worth saving. America needs new leadership. And I need the O'Malley supporters out there on caucus night to hold strong and move forward like Iowa does. And not All right, let's bring in Benjamin Polidori. He grew up in Iowa. He's now a law student. He says he's leaning towards supporting you on Monday, and he has an important question for you. Yes, yeah, so Governor O'Malley. Now, this is going to give you a chance to wrap up your main pitch. This is Benjamin Folidori. Uh, we'll give you 30 seconds, the same thing we gave to uh, Senator awesome. Sanders, but go ahead. So, yeah, right on cue with that, you're aware that national polls continue to show you trailing Secretary Clinton and Senator um, Sanders. So to those that are still... Um, you know, undecided like me, or maybe just less informed about politics, um, on top of what you've already talked about, what, what's the last thing that you would try to tell them to convince them that you are, in fact, the best candidate for the Democratic Party? Okay, thank you. This is what I would say. I would say that time and time again in the history of uh, the state of Iowa, Iowa has found a way to sort through the noise and to sort through the national polls and to lift up a new leader for our country at times when that was critical and essential. That's what you did eight years ago when you lifted up Barack Obama to lead our country forward. And we need to build upon his good work by continuing to move forward. And uh, I, am the only, uh, I am the only one of the three of us who has a track record, not of being a divider, but of bringing people together to get meaningful things done, raising the living wage, making college more affordable, creating jobs, healing wounds and divisions. That's what our country needs right now. Oh. We are a great people. We are a generous and we are a compassionate people. And we are far better than the sort of fascist rhetoric that you hear spewed out by Donald Trump. The enduring symbol of our country is not the barbed wire fence. It is the Statue of Liberty. And we... And so I'm not here to, to praise you, Iowa. I'm here to challenge you. Lift up a new leader because you can change the course of this presidential race. You can shift this dynamic on caucus night. I know you can. I've seen you do it before. There is nothing so divided about our, our national politics that it cannot be healed with a renewed faith in one another and new leadership. That's what I have to offer. My candidacy is in your hands. Do with it as you will. But I think it's important in order to move our country forward that once again Iowa lift up a new leader so that we can make America the compassionate, generous, and inclusive place that we need it to be. Thanks. Thank you. Our thanks to Governor O'Malley. Hillary Clinton is in the wings. She's ready to face these Iowa voters next. This podcast is brought to you by Realty Shares. 
This company is disrupting the real estate finance industry with their crowdfunding platform. RealtyShares makes it super simple to diversify your portfolio by investing in real estate from your computer in minutes with as little as $5,000. All of the real estate deals are sourced and vetted by experienced investment professionals. They've crowdfunded over 1,600 properties across the United States. You can even invest in deals right in your own neighborhood. For this month only, if you sign up at RealtyShares.com slash CNN, then link a bank account. RealtyShares will transfer $50 into your linked bank account. Visit RealtyShares.com slash CNN to browse investment opportunities today. That's RealtyShares.com slash CNN. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.